Welcome to the IH Podcast, where we profile fellows of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities here at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth, Coordinator for Faculty Programs. In this episode, Communications Specialist Melissa Clay speaks with Constitutional Law Professor Michael Gerhardt about the upcoming presidential elections, as well as the Republican and Democratic conventions. Recorded in May, Professor Gearhart accurately predicts the outcomes of the Republican National Convention and provides timely insight on the nature of the upcoming campaigns of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. They also discuss the ramifications of the federal lawsuit against North Carolina over HB2. What is it like being a, a professor in constitutional law at this time and, and teaching and, and your work, your research? And... Well, there always is something happening in constitutional law, which is sure. one of the reasons I do it. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so it's, it's always an interesting area. Um, mm-hmm. And we always expect there's going to be some current issues. We can't always predict what those issues will be. Mm-hmm. But there's always going to be some kind of controversy. And, and I think that North Carolina was obliging in that respect. Um, <laughs> and now... North Carolina has sort of confronted the fact that the federal government thinks what North Carolina is doing is in violation of federal law. Mm-hmm. And that conflict between states and a uh, state and the federal government is not a unique one. It's very fundamental to constitutional law, so we deal with that all the time. Another issue that came up recently was the Supreme Court nomination, and you have a lot of experience with that. Um, if you could speak a little bit to how that might play out before we have a new president? Well, it's not clear it will play out. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, Justice Scalia, who actually was my constitutional law professor, died in the middle of February. Uh, It was unexpected, and I think it caught a lot of people very much by surprise. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of what everybody's witnessing right now is national leaders improvising. Uh, And that may not be a pretty picture, but that's basically what's happened. I think the Republican leaders feel that Justice Scalia was their most impassioned voice, Mm -hmm. the most passionate voice on the Supreme Court uh, uh, with respect to kind of a conservative viewpoint on on the Constitution. And Republican leaders also think that without Justice Scalia on the court, the next appointment, the appointment to fill his seat, is going to transform the Supreme Court. It, It creates the possibility for a Democratic president, President Obama, to make an appointment which will bring about the first time in over 40 years, a majority of Democratic appointed justices on the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. So every side sees this as a critical point. Every side has something hugely at stake, and so that's why it'll be a titanic conflict. What are your favorite moments in teaching? One uh, one of my favorite moments probably actually happened when I was teaching at William Mary before I came to UNC, but I happened to be teaching a class on federal jurisdiction, which has to do with the power of federal courts. And I was teaching that class at the same time there was litigation in a case called Bush versus Gore. So uh, we were able to uh, have our class sort of pay attention to that lawsuit at every step along the way, through the state court system Mm -hmm. and to the point at which it got to the United States Supreme Court not just once but twice. So I think that was a very special opportunity Mm -hmm. to not just – teach a very important class to some excellent students, but also to be able to use real-world events in the class and to have the class see how what they were learning really was, uh, really did matter Mm -hmm. in a real-life dispute. And what gives you inspiration or what motivates you? 
I, I am um, motivated, I think, largely by the belief that law can make a difference. I, I grew up in Alabama in the 1960s when the only thing that could make a positive difference was law. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a tough a period um, if you happen to be uh, a minority. And I, I, I happen to be Jewish growing up in Alabama in the 1960s, so I had some perspective on that. And for me, my role models were judges and lawyers who were fighting for civil rights, and that's what defines my approach to pretty much everything. And what, um, if anything, are you reading these days? I'm reading um, a few different things. I, I'm actually rereading War and Peace. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's at one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum, my, my three children have given me a Flash comic book they want me to read. So, yeah. oh, that's yeah. great. What made yeah. you decide to reread War and Peace? I just uh, It's a great book, and I just thought it had been a while, and I also saw the BBC was doing a what is a highly rated production of mm-hmm. War and Peace, so I thought before I watched that 12-part series, I'd reread the book. Yeah. So you gave yourself some homework. Right. Given this election year, what do you see as possibilities for the national conventions, and Republican especially? Well, one of the jobs that actually um, – I, I also do is I'm helping to coordinate public programming at the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia, and the IH has helped support me in doing that this past year. But that becomes pertinent because we put together programs relating to the election, relating to the conventions, uh, and it's also happening in uh, the Democratic conventions happening in Philadelphia. Right. So we're giving that some thought. And the Republican conventions in Cleveland, which is where my wife's from, so in, <laughs> in some ways I feel like I, I have a connection to both of them. I think the likeliest thing to happen at both of the conventions is for the predictable outcome to occur. That is where the conventional wisdom would be. I don't think we have surprises at conventions quite like we used to. Just the organization is different and things work out oftentimes for the conventions to be unexciting. In many respects, that's what the convention leaders want. They don't want a lot of excitement because a lot of excitement means chaos and unpredictability and outcomes they can't control. Mm -hmm. They want the opposite of all that. Um, so if that were to follow through, if that were to be the case uh, in Cleveland, we would expect Donald Trump, uh, as surprising as that would be, to be the Republican nominee. Now, whether or not the Republican Party leaders, or for that matter, Republican Party members, all come to support that is a very open question. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows the answer to it. I think um, Trump will likely be divisive and He's been that way to some extent up until now and will likely continue to be that way. On the Democratic side, I think maybe without the dominance she might have expected, Hillary Clinton will uh, likely become the nominee. And then we have two very different kinds of nominees who I think each raise different challenges. Um, uh, One major challenge that each of them share is neither is terribly popular, at least right now, among the American electorate. And so that raises the question about what the turnout is going to be. And so we'll get it after just um, – and, and I know it's ne- there's a lot of time between now and Election Day, uh, but if things follow the, the predicted path, or, then one of the real challenges this fall will be to figure out, okay, what's the turnout going to be, who's going to turn out, and who they're going to vote for. And that's um, – and both candidates, I think, have – more or less promised it's going to be a negative campaign. And so if we, you know, I began talking about leadership vision, which may be uh, hard to come by 
this fall because if it's all negative, it'll be hard to figure out what the vision is that will help this country. I wouldn't I hesitate to say unify this country. That's a, that's a harder challenge. And it's, it's unlikely, in all candor, that the next president will unify the country. It doesn't look like either of these candidates will be able or, um, to do that. And so that means whatever divisions we see now in this country will persist into the fall, persist perhaps into next year. And it's hard to see how that uh, benefits the country. Yes. One other question I had, um, again, because of an election year, given all the activity around HB2 and how quickly things have moved, both what we saw Charlotte, uh, starting in Charlotte uh, with the ordinance, and then the uh, state's reaction to that, and then the government, the federal government's reaction to that, how quickly could could things move in terms of these two lawsuits? I, I don't think they'll move that quickly. Um, uh, so I, it's highly unlikely um, that either would be over by the time of the election. I, I, in fact, think that much of what the state leaders have been doing with respect to HB2, including the lawsuit, is being shaped by the election. And so they've bought themselves time by filing this lawsuit. Uh, they've also bought themselves the chance to sort of paint a villain. You know, the villain for them is going to be the federal government. So whatever the election was going to be about this fall, uh, maybe it would have been about public education. For those of us at UNC, that would have been a, a, a good thing to talk about. It could have been about a lot of things. But instead, it's probably going to be dominated by a, a discussion about HB2, in which for Pat McCrory and Republican leaders, there's a good guy, them, uh, and there's a bad guy, the federal government. And so um, that's, I think, what we can predict, at least in the short term. But what happens with the lawsuit may um, is, is going to take longer. If, if Pat McCrory loses the election, then maybe the lawsuit goes away. Um, and if he wins the election, um, we'll have to see what happens in Washington. Uh, but maybe the federal lawsuit doesn't go away either. Um, so we'll, uh, all that's going to play itself out um, over the long term. But I think another reason why people file lawsuits isn't just to vindicate their interests, but it's to provide themselves cover in case they lose. So that's a very classic strategy. So the governor is – uh, already preparing to identify another bad guy, and that's the federal courts if they don't go his way. And then he's going to be able to say, look, I stood on my principle, whatever that may be, and it's the bad guy here is the federal courts, and this is another reason why we don't like them. That's an age-old tradition in American politics uh, dating all the way back to the beginning of the republic. Thank you so much. Wonderful sure. interview. And, um, thanks for, thank you for your time. Uh, thanks for being patient. Thanks for having me. Check back at ih.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all of our episodes of the podcast on our website as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IH underscore UNC.